30 minutes. We'll do one chapter uh, per minute, and we'll be done. So, um, well, there's 31 chapters, so. Um, so just to kind of recap a little bit, I'd love to just uh, kind of connect with what, uh, what Rick talked about last week, which was we, we talked about Ecclesiastes. And really, um, in the intro to his teaching, Rick did this beautiful, um, I encourage you to check it out. And uh, I haven't looked on the website, but I think the, some of the, the diagrams that he had were supposed to be up there. So if they're not, then go bug them after service. But um, he had a great diagram that really talked about the library of scripture and how there's, there's these three kind of chunks to the Old Testament. And the, the New Testament mirrors that. So it starts out with the five books of Moses um, talking about the, the agreement of the covenant and, and basically the, the terms of the covenant, which is mirrored in, um, with the first five books of Moses and then the Gospels. And then the next section in the Hebrew Bible was the, was the, the prophets, which were the history books, the outworking of, of redemptive history with God's people. And then the last section of the Hebrew Bible um, was the wisdom was the wisdom books, which included some other books that we're not we're not talking about in this series, but um, but it you know um, includes these three books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, and so in the New Testament letters, um, the the Pauline epistles and and some of the other epistles also follow that that tradition of wisdom, or basically it's showing God's people how to live in covenant. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk, and here I just thought this intro slide. I, I liked this this little. Uh, this verse here, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's kind of a central theme, and we'll, we'll touch on that as we go throughout the book. But I, I just thought it was a nice way to intro that. So um, so let's kind of moving on to the next slide here. So uh, I wanted to start out by asking a question of you guys and have some audience participation this morning. So um, the question is, what is wisdom? Um, I'd love to just hear some thoughts from you guys and, and how you guys think of wisdom. Um, I'd love to just hear, uh, feel free to shout out or raise your hand or maybe you're one of those kids that didn't raise your hand in school and you just blurted it out, like pro- probably like Dan. So, uh. <laughs> wow. Well, wow, that's awesome. Um, that's very very insightful. Any any other any other thoughts you guys have when you think of the word wisdom? What comes to mind? Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like the the whole idea of that it's not just reading a book, but it's actually like learning the hard way sometimes. And. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Man, you, you guys are killing it this morning. Um, well, what? yeah, actually, Teresa touched on something we're going to talk about um, in, the, in the last section. So, man, this is, you guys are great. So moving on, let's move on to this next slide. And um, I thought this was interesting. This was from a more nerdy theological book. When I was looking at kind of the word wisdom, um, uh, you know, it's interesting. In a Western tradition, we have this... Um, way of thinking about wisdom, and the Greeks had this way of thinking about wisdom that's really um, antithetical to the Bible. And so what I wanted to first do before we dive into the book of Proverbs is just give a brief introduction of the, the, the word, and especially in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for wisdom. But this quote I thought was interesting, so I'll read it. The ethical dynamic of Greek, Greek philosophy lay in the intellect. If a person had perfect knowledge, he could live the good life. And that's really from Platon, like Plato. 
um, Platonic thinking. So knowledge was virtue. The emphasis of Old Testament wisdom was that the human will in the realm of practical matters was to be subject to divine causes. Therefore, Hebrew wisdom was not theoretical and speculative. It was practical based on revealed principles of right and wrong to be lived out in daily life. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And it's interesting because when I started looking at this idea of wisdom, it, I started uncovering all these things that I was really like, man, you guys actually nailed it. <laughs> you guys nailed the, the, the definition of wisdom um, so much more when I was studying, I was like, oh, wow, like, I tend to think of wisdom in this, in this intellectual sense. And the Bible, we can already see from this quote, the Old Testament is really getting a lot deeper underneath that to say that the human will needs to be subject to divine causes. Um, and we're going to get into that. So the next slide here um, shows us this Hebrew word um, for wisdom. That's kind of hard to pronounce. It sounds like chokmah, but it's like chokmah. Um, has the little ch in it. Um, so it's kind of fun to say, to practice. Uh, but this idea of chokmah um, is really a beautiful, a beautiful picture. So um, if you, uh, the next slide has some, uh, some graphics on it that kind of just demonstrate some of these ideas. So from Job 12 and 28, we see the idea that um, the scripture puts forth that um, chokmah or wisdom was an actually an attribute of God, first and foremost. It was something that was attributed to God himself in the way that we would say God is love in the New Testament. We would also say God is wisdom because that's an attribute of, of his. So wisdom um, in many ways starts there. Um, but the word is so nuanced and rich and deep. And so I wanted to just visually show it a little bit. But the idea in Exodus 31, this was a fascinating one, the idea of craftsmanship. So in Exodus 28 and 31, we have these mentions of um, these skilled workers as God was giving the instructions to Israel of how to build the uh, temple and all of its instruments, they had these skilled metal workers. You know, it makes me think of Eddie. I was just on Instagram last night, and Eddie got his forge up and running, and he's he's going to do, do some blacksmithing. And it totally makes me think of that, because that word chukmah in Exodus 31 was used for the craftsmen that would actually be these skilled metal workings and um, skilled artistry and, and, and weaving and fabric. Um, so that's, that's one um, one usage of that word. Another was it actually the idea of wisdom was tied to creation itself. When wisdom is personified in, in Proverbs 8, um, creation there is a part of that. The wisdom was a part of the fabric of how God created the world. Um, we also see in Isaiah 10, battle tactics. So when, a, when, um, when the king would lead his battle and generals would lead their, their armies, the, the word for battle tactics there is that word wisdom. Um, as well as government, uh, broadly, um, the idea of governing well and, and people having being able to govern. Um, we see that word, again, being used in that sense in the Old Testament, as well as in Isaiah 11, which is a messianic a prophecy that, that points to the messianic leadership, the leadership that Jesus the Messiah would have. Um, chukmah was a part of the fabric of, uh, of leadership. So we can see from this, like at a brief sense, that wisdom is a lot deeper than just intellectual knowledge. Um, and it's, it actually takes on all these different meanings in these different areas of life. And, and really, I thought that was really fascinating, especially the, the idea that the more practical things like craftsmanship involves wisdom. I mean, in the Western world, like I would say, well, yeah, well, wisdom is like, it's all these you know, principles that we can have to, so we can live a better life. But for the Hebrew people, it was like even to be able to have the skill to do the work that God had put before them, whether that was artistic or whether it was intellectual, that required wisdom, um, and that comes from God. So anyway, I just found this fascinating as I was studying it. I wanted to kind of convey some of those things. Uh, moving on, um, 
this uh, verse, Proverbs 9.10, is very central to the book of Proverbs. And, um, and it really outlines for us where wisdom begins. And it says, the fear of Yahweh, fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the Hebrew mind, again, we're just we're kind of going where we already kind of started. But as you guys talked about, uh, Dan, when you mentioned that, like, this idea that wisdom can't come from us, it, it, it has to be received, has to be passed down. Also, the idea of it being passed down generationally be from older people to younger is an idea in the, in the uh, Hebrew mind. The idea of, of chokmah or wisdom is that it's passed down. It's not something that we capture and experience individually, but it's actually meant to be shared. It's actually part of the collectum, the collection of God's wisdom, even in the scriptures, even the book of Proverbs itself is a collection of sayings that was passed down from father to son, from fa- uh, daughter to uh, mother to daughter, and it was, it was shared. And so I think it's important to, to emphasize that. So just to recap briefly, uh, the next slide has uh, a couple things that chakmah is not. It's not intellectual pursuit. Doesn't mean it doesn't include our intellect, but it's not in itself intellectual pursuit. It's not also knowing a bunch of wise sayings, um, and and it's also not cool life hacks to better myself. Um, if you if if you look through the end, I mean, so the way Proverbs is structured, the first nine chapters are really um, these introductory um, addresses from a father to a son, and also some addresses um, to Lady Wisdom. And it, it actually forms, if you read the first nine chapters, it gives you a good feeling for the heart of the book. And then chapters 10 through 29 are what we typically think of as Proverbs, which is just a collection of sayings that's almost like a dictionary. You know, it's like dealing with different subjects, everything from sex to family life to how to do your job well to how to work hard and don't sleep in uh, too much and don't be a sluggard and all these things, right? All these practical things that touch on every area of life. And so that's what we tend to think of when we think Proverbs. But the idea, the problem is we get into, into trouble when we divorce that from the heart of the book, from the heart of wisdom, because we start to think, oh, man, this is, you know. And honestly, like as I was reading through some of Proverbs, like especially in the chapters 10 through 29, you could take a bunch of those sayings, modernize them, and put them on Twitter or Instagram, make a cool like um, hand-drawn ver- or a hand-drawn like word and people would just fawn over it. It'd be like, this is, you're brilliant. You know, this is awesome, right? And this is, you know, it's going to, it's going to make my life so much better. But the reality is there's truth to that. God did weave chakmah or wisdom into the fabric of, of creation. So there's a certain sense in which, sure, you know, if you sleep in every day, you're probably not going to make a lot of money or work hard because you're not going to maybe hold down your job. But the point of that is that we need wisdom to pursue God. So there's it's not just a passive like knowledge that we, we could fill ourselves with, but there's more than that. So in the next slide, we talk about I'm going to talk about three things that, that wisdom is. So first, I put creative intent in pursuit of Yahweh. So pursuing Yahweh again involves our mind, involves our hands, it involves skillful work, it involves being a parent, like working with our kids. That's how we pursue God. It's it's not just through our heart or mind, but it's actually through the outworking of our lives, the work that we do. Um, the conversations that we have, all the practical areas of our life, we need wisdom to creatively pursue Yahweh. Also, chakmah is a, a collective wisdom. And again, you, um, you guys touched on this uh, when I asked what is wisdom, but that collective wisdom, it's passed down through generations. Um, it's something that's shared. It's not just an individual experience, but it's something that um, parents pass on to their children, 
children pass on to their children, and it's collected over time. And it's also, um, and I, I put this, uh, a map to deepen the covenant community. So a lot of, we get into, into trouble with Proverbs when we start to view them as promises, when we start to view them as guarantees, and there's no guarantees in the book, right? There is verses that say, hey, if you train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart. That, that's one of, one of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. Problem is, we start to turn that into a promise, and we expect, if I do all the right things, then my kid's going to end up blessed. That doesn't mean that. You know, there's verses about prosperity that would say the same thing. Like, if I, if I have wisdom or I do the right things, then I'm going to live a long life. Well, we, we live in a world, as we learned last week, especially with Ecclesiastes, um, with the, this idea of hevel, which Rick talked about, which is this confusing fog. Like, life is a vapor and a fog. It's confusing. Things happen that we don't expect. It doesn't work out that way. But rather, we, when we approach Proverbs to look at it as a map, it's pointing us in a direction. It's pointing us toward this direction of pursuing the true and living God. It's to deepen us in community with each other. And it's to deep, deepen us in that covenant relationship with God. So when we start to think of wisdom as a map, it makes a lot more sense. You know, um, Even those verses, like we should train our kids up in the fear and the love of Yahweh. Um, we should desire them to come to know God in a meaningful way. But that doesn't mean that when things don't work out the way we wanted them to, that we, we, hold our, we shake our fist at God or that we get upset or we realize we live in a broken world and not everything's going to work out the way that it should. But that doesn't mean that we, we abandon God. Or that is, and so anyway, that, that I think is a helpful way to start viewing this book as we approach it. So moving on, um, we're going to look at three different pictures. And you can um, thank my beautiful wife for these illustrations she was sketching and um, I asked her to, if she could do some illustrations just because I, I th- um, think there's something cool about seeing some visuals along with these constructs. But we're going to look at three different, um, three different metaphors that the book of Proverbs them, itself uses to walk us through the book. And again, we're going to blow through, the, through these, three, these three metaphors and then we'll kind of wrap up at the end. And I, I just encourage you guys to go read the book for yourself, to go discover it. And I think I'm hope, my hope is that this will give you enough of a framework and a frame of mind so when you're reading it, you can kind of have like a notion in your head of like, okay, here's how this fits in um, as you're reading. So the first picture that it gives us is a father and son. And um, in the first eight chapters, we see this address over and over again of a father to a son. I'll, I'll just read some of them briefly here. I'm not going to put the verses up on the screen. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in Proverbs 1.8, listen, my son, to your father's instructions. Um, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 2.1, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Uh, my son, in uh, Proverbs 3.1, Do not forsake my, forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Um, Proverbs 4, verse 1, Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Again, chapter 5, verse 1, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion. I mean, over and over again, we see this, this, these addresses. And so when you look at these first eight chapters, the great thing to realize, the context of these, is that a father is talking to his son. So it's, it's demonstrating for us that thing that we talked about, which is collective knowledge being passed down generationally. You see that in the book of Deuteronomy as well, this idea that God is, is always telling his people, hey, pass these things, bind these on your heart, teach them to your children when you're walking in the way. When you're doing everyday life, teach them to your kids, instruct them. 
so we see this personification. I think it makes a lot of sense. For me as a father, it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of us in this room, especially in Sherwood, there's a lot of families, right? There's a lot of um, this relationship is something that we can easily, um, not always easily, but I think we can kind of start to get a father and a son, a mother and a daughter. The idea is that wisdom from parents to kids is, is this beautiful relationship and where wisdom is shared, where wisdom is shared with the younger generation to show them um, a way that we can, per, you know, pursue God. So um, moving to the next slide, what I'm doing with each of these sections, um, we'll just do a quick intro. I picked one verse out to try to represent as best as I could that section. There's so much more in here. Again, we're just glossing it over, but I wanted to give you guys a kind of a, the heart, what I felt like was the heart of this section. And then um, at the end, we'll just, uh, uh, end of each section, a little slide that shows a couple things, a few things that we learned from that section, and we'll just we'll blow through them. So this verse right here, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. There's a lot of talk in this first eight, um, nine chapters about, um, about uh, in the book of Proverbs, about heart. And really, the big concern of the father to the son is what's going on in your heart. Everything you do flows from it. There's a practical stuff that they mention. Um, the father warns the son about adultery, warns him about all kinds of different stuff, the foolish woman. Um, and, but at the center of it is the heart. And I love this verse because it really captures that, I feel like, well. Um, and it's a great verse. Guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. And, you know, it really makes me think of Jesus in the New Testament. He says, it's not the things that come out of, uh, it's not the things that go into your body. It's not the food that you eat or the, or the stuff that you consume that makes you sinful. It's things that come out of your heart. All right. So let's summarize this, this first section. And this is really the first eight, uh, first eight chapters of the book. First of all, get wisdom at any cost. There is um, some urgency to um, that the father uses his language with his son and saying, hey, you need to sell everything you have and get this. You know, it makes me think a lot of the New Testament when Jesus talks about the kingdom and he, he says the parable of the kingdom where this guy found a treasure in a field and he sold everything he had and he got it. And I think those are talking about the same thing. It's, it's pursuing wisdom, getting wisdom is really pursuing God. And so he's saying, get wisdom at, at, a, at any cost. He's saying, Sell everything you have and get this. Like, this is the most valuable thing that you could pursue in your life. This was convicting for me because um, I don't know if it's a millennial thing. I don't know if it's just a human thing or, or it's just a me thing. But, like, it is so easy to just, I'm pursuing so many different things, creative things. I'm a designer by trade. And so, I, like, I, I could get inspired by, you know, all kinds of different things. And I can pursue a lot of different things that are selfish. And some of those things aren't bad. Some of those things actually could be things God uses or wants me to pursue, but the reality is I'm not really pursuing wisdom at any cost. Like, it's not the most valuable thing in my life most of the time. Sometimes it's just surviving the day so I can go hang out hang out with my wife and watch Netflix because I'm exhausted. Because having kids is exhausting, you know, the reality. Um, but the reality is, and I don't think God would come and say to us, stop doing, stop relaxing or stop having fun or just those, God wants us to be able to unwind, right? But it's really at the source of my heart is like, am I really pursuing wisdom at any cost? Is this the most important thing to me? Is this the thing that I'm praying for for my kids? Is this the thing that I'm really choosing to make intentional time to open the Bible with my kids, talk to them about Jesus, talk to them about God? The second one, the theme that comes up in this section is avoid seduction. Um, he says over and over again, and again, this is both literal, also it's metaphorical because 
So all throughout the Old Testament, adultery and, and, um, and sexual sin is also correlated with committing adultery with God, with going after and pursuing other gods. And so some of this is metaphorical. Some of it's really literal. I mean, he's telling his son, don't go to the prostitute's house. Just stay away from her. This strange woman is seductive with her lips, and she's, the lips are like honey, but she's going to kill you. <laughs> and so stay away. Um, and some of that's literal, but also some of it's, it's metaphorical. It's saying, hey, guys, like, the stuff that you're pursuing after um, is going to lead, lead to death. You need to pursue me. And again, lastly, just to reiterate again, we talked about this, keep your heart in the fear of Yahweh. Um, fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And that idea of fear, I don't believe is just a literal fear. There is a lot of times in the Bible when people see God, they are literally hit their face and they're, they're frightened. Um, even the disciples see Jesus demonstrate his, his raw power in a couple of cases and they're, they're freaked out. They're like, whoa, this, what is, who is this guy? Right? So there is that component, but it's more reverent awe. That the idea that we come before God realizing he is God and I'm not and I need everything from him. Okay, so that's the first section, first eight or so chapters. Next one, we're going to talk about Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom is really cool. Um, it actually, she's woven into those first nine chapters of the book as well. So both of those kind of things overlap. Sometimes when the father's addressing his son, it just goes into, here's Lady Wisdom. Um, listen to her. The thing that I like about this um, is that it's really interesting in a patriarchal society like Israel was, and in some ways we're still coming out of that, right, as a culture. We still, women don't always have the, the, the voice and the power and authority that, that men do in our culture, sadly. But I love that God elevates this picture of women to this hugely noble picture. I mean, when you read about Lady Wisdom, I mean, it's like, listen to this lady, man. <laughs> you know, like the father is saying to the son, you need to listen to this woman which is really interesting in that day because I, there's nowhere else in, those, in a lot of those Old Testament passages where you see a man telling, hey, go listen to this woman, right? Um, but she's held up in this high regard, and in some ways she's personified, right? And so it's this picture of Lady Wisdom saying, hey, she is, she's decked with all these jewels. She's beautiful. You need to pursue this woman and listen to her. Listen to her words because she's powerful. And... It's a very interesting picture given the context of the, of, of the Hebrew. And as you look throughout the whole canon of Scripture, you see over time God's obviously elevating women to this, this, this higher and higher place. And obviously they're also coming out of, you have to keep in, in mind the context, they're coming out of this very patriarchal culture. And so part of that progress throughout the story of Scripture is, is sometimes slower than we would agree with in our modern minds. But we need to understand that um, God does hold women in high regard and here, this personification of wisdom as a lady is a, is a powerful picture. Um, and it also, it really cements in our minds that thing that we talked about in the last section, which is get, she's valuable. You need to pursue her at any cost. Get wisdom. So let's, um, let's go to the next slide, and we'll, I'll, I'll just pull the quote out of here. I thought this was, this was cool. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. I love that last, that last verse, I have power. There's so many people in our culture that we can see it all throughout, these abuses of power and people craving power, people craving influence. I mean, the whole reason why social media is so addicting, and, and there's all these studies coming out showing what it's doing to young kids that's, that's horrifying. Um, because everyone wants influence. Everyone wants to be known and wants to have power. 
I mean, we're, we're built in with it, right? But God is saying, and Lady Wisdom is saying to us, counsel and sound judgment are mine. If you want counsel, you want wisdom for your life, if you want to walk in the good way of life, you need to come to Lady Wisdom and listen to her. Because she has insight. She can see in, she could see that idea of insight, being able to see into the future. Not that she can tell the future, but just she has insight about life, about how this works. And she has power. So that, that verse in Proverbs 18, 8, 14, sorry, I uh, thought was very powerful. So what does wisdom, what does Lady Wisdom teach us? What do we learn from her? First of all, we need wisdom infused in everyday life. The thing I love about Lady Wisdom is when it mentions these, these verses, it's like um, in um, chapter 8 is a big, a, a big important section of Lady Wisdom crying out. And it says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. And all over the place, she's at, she's at the, the street corner, you know, where the man's about to turn into the, into, the, into the prostitute's house. And she's there at the street corner crying out. She's crying out in the places of everyday life. Um, the city gate was where the elders of the city would, would gather. And she's there crying out to the elders of the city saying, hey, listen to me. You guys need me. You need insight. You need power. You need to understand. And, on, and she's crying out in the streets. She's crying out at the high places. She's crying out everywhere. Um, and she's just... She's trying to get anyone that, that she can to listen to her. And, and it really demonstrates that we need wisdom infused in everyday life. She's crying out in the places where life and commerce happens. I was trying to think about what it would look like today. You know, she'd be in the coffee shop, right, or the pub, crying out, going, hey, listen to me. Listen to wisdom. She'd be crying out on social media for sure. She'd have the, uh, she probably wouldn't have that many followers, but... Um, <laughs> If, if you follow the story of Scripture, you know, like, she, she wouldn't. She'd be crying out, and everyone, no one would be listening. But she would be crying out, saying, listen to me. Um, secondly, we learn wisdom is power. There's power in having wisdom. And not the kind of power that puts us at the spotlight, the kind of power that allows us to, um, allows life to function the way more that it should and, us, and really connects us to God himself the power that allows his work to flow through our lives, which is what we all need. Thirdly, pursue the mystery of wisdom. There's a lot of mystery in Proverbs 8. If you like mysteries like, like me, like any kind of movie or TV show or anything that's like there's a mysterious element, I just I get sucked in. I love it. <laughs> I love mystery. And there's some mystery, a lot of mystery in Proverbs 8 because, you know, um, in, especially in verse 22, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I mean, she's, she was there at creation. She's talking about this personified wisdom is there at creation. She's involved in creation. Very mysterious. And there's pointers even in some of those passages that talk about the, the skillful workers that had, that had chokmah or wisdom. Um, there's also verses that talk about how those guys were filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And so there's, there's these pointers, again, like a map, just pointing us toward this mystery of wisdom connected to the Holy Spirit, connected to God himself, connected to creation, all these really crazy, powerful things. And I think it's interesting, um, and it's worth pursuing. I think it's part of the reason why it, the Bible leaves some of those things a mystery, because it, it it, it's inviting us in to say, hey, check this out. Look at this. Um, consider it. Lastly, and this should go without saying, sadly, but um, it's not always said, but women possess wisdom. And I think in a culture that um, can be driven by men. Uh, you know, the church is not to be that way, obviously. But um, 
we need to understand that women possess wisdom. We need to listen to them. Their voices need to be heard. Um, their voices need to be heard in our homes with our wives. We need to listen to our mothers. And again, I'm not saying do everything your mother says to, to do when you're a grown when you're a grown person, but we need we need wisdom. We need women speaking in the church. We need women involved in leadership. We need women um, in every area of life, right? Um, and I think you know, we're starting to see in our culture some of that change with the, the Me Too movement and women feeling empowered to be able to voice um, some of the abuses that have happened. That's a start. But I think, um, I think we need to open our eyes to realize this picture of wisdom as a woman was not a mistake. And it's something that would say to us, I believe, we just need to listen. We need to listen. And sometimes we're good at talking. We're, good at, uh, we're not always good at listening. And so anyway, that, that was just, that again, I feel like that should go without saying, but sadly it's, it's not always said and it's not always felt. So the last picture um, is these two guys. Agur, Agur, I don't know how to pronounce them, it's kind of weird. Agur makes me think of chemistry, a biology class where you eat the Petri dish and Agur. And, all right, but, uh, it's spelled differently, I think. But there's Agur and Lemuel, these two dudes, um, who have some wisdom to share with us. Lemuel was a king. Chapter 31 is Lemuel's address. Chapter 30 is Agur. Agur. Um, so these two guys um, demonstrate for us some really cool things. And again, I'm, if you notice here, I'm covering the outside of the book. I'm leaving really chapters 10 through 29 because it really touches on every area of life. So just go read it. It's like a dictionary. Or go look up stuff if you want to have some wisdom or just insight into different areas of life. But Agur and Lemuel teach us two things. Um, let's go to the next slide, and we'll just we'll kind of summarize that section with a verse, and then I'll, I'll talk about what they teach us. So I love this. This is the beginning of Agur's uh, um, address. And he's kind of, if you look at what he's, he's is in the narrative, he's like this model reader of Proverbs because he starts out, and, and I'll read it here, the sayings of Agur, son of Jake, an inspired utterance, this man's utterance to Ithiel, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. And here we will get in verse 2. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained the knowledge of the Holy One. And he goes on, who has gone up to heaven and come down, whose hands have gathered up the wind. And then in verse 5, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield of those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words. So really he approaches um, the book of Proverbs and shows us Something that I think um, Teresa or someone shared when we talked about what wisdom is, about the idea of humility, is that this guy approaches the book of Proverbs the right way, which is with absolute humility, going, I'm a brute, I'm not a man. I, he doesn't, doesn't even have human understanding. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. He's just acknowledging, I don't have it, I don't have it God. I don't get it. I need you. And that humble acknowledgement, I think, is, is really what's in mind when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to start with recognizing that he's God and we're not. We don't have it all together. So to summarize what's in this last section, number one, wisdom is expressed in humility. Um, We just talked about that, and that's very key to the whole book, to the whole understanding. I mean, if you come to Proverbs thinking, hey, I'm going to take some of these verses, I'm going to sprinkle them in my life, like kind of like I would sprinkle sprinkles on a cake or something and add some little some flavor to my life. That's not really the way to look at the book of Proverbs. The way to look at it is, first of all, to come with humility, to recognize we don't have everything we need, so we need understanding from God. Um, 
Secondly, what we learn is those in power should pursue justice. Um, there's these ideas um, in, in Lemuel's sayings in verse uh, uh, Proverbs 31, eight. it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Jesus' ministry was all about this. But justice is something that we should pursue. And you may say, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not in power. Well, if you're in America and you have money in your bank account or even you're living in, in this area, and I'm not saying that you know everyone's super well off financially, but we have power and influence more than a lot of people, more than even people in our own country or our own city. But regardless, we've been given so much in God that we, you know, there's an emphasis here in that those in power, those with influence should pursue justice. We should pursue helping those who can't speak up for themselves, those who don't have a voice in culture, those who are marginalized, those who are, who are shunned or maybe looked at as, as lesser than. That's really something that God elevates all throughout Scripture, and Jesus was the epitome of that in his ministry. He went to the people that no one would even touch, the people that are like, you're unclean for even being around this guy, and Jesus' holiness touched those people and made them clean and holy. So we should pursue justice. Um, Lastly, Proverbs 31, the P31. You guys have been around Christian culture or church for years. You've heard the P31, or if you haven't, uh, let me introduce you to the P31. It's this this idea that... um, this model wife, and really the address of Lemuel is um, a lot of this is stuff that his mother passed down to him, and he's kind of conveying it, right? So his mother passes down this picture. What happens is, sadly, the church has used that, or women have, uh, well, the church has used it kind of to guilt women into like, hey, you need to, to follow this example. This woman, she's up at night doing working with the traders of the city, and she's selling garments, and she's blessing her home, and she's like, it's like you read it, if you read it as like, this is the guy to be a perfect wife, you're going to f- utterly hate yourself because you're going to go like, you're also, it's just, I don't ever think God, in, God did not intend that to be something that we literally go, yep, I need to check this box and I need to, you know, bring income into my home and I need to do all these things. And so women start to feel this pressure of like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not measuring up. But really, I think the last part of that verse, um, or the last part of the chapter really captures the heart. In um, Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Throughout that chapter, you'll notice the husband praises his wife, the kids praise their mother, praise that that wife. Um, Other people in the city praise the the wife. The idea and the sense that it's giving us is that these women, the women who fear Yahweh, who walk and pursue God, should be praised. And... um, What's notable about each of those things is not all the things that she does. It's the fact that she gets praised by each of these people that, that, that are involved in, in her life and that come into contact with her. And honestly, like, I just I think of my own wife and I think of a lot of you moms in here who are doing, and, and women who are, are, are loving your children, who are taking care of your husbands, who are working tirelessly sometimes. Uh, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to my own wife just seeing all that she does for me and for her family, like it's, it's humbling. And I think these women should be praised. So husbands, praise your wives. They're not perfect. Like they're, gonna, they're not going to do everything right. And we're not perfect, clearly, um, as husbands. But women, these women should be praised. They should really receive the thanks. This is not a, a Mother's Day sermon, but if it was, uh, my, my wife, I was sharing some of the notes with her last night, and she was like, this would be a good Mother's Day. And I, it would, because women should be praised. Honestly, but it should be praised not on Mother's Day. It should be, you should, 
vocalize this the way that the book of Proverbs models for us. I think that's what really the intent of that passage is. So don't, don't look at it as a list of these are things I should do or not do. But rather look to it as, man, a, a woman that pursues God, pursues the Lord, and makes that the aim of her life, she should get praise, and, um, and rightly so. So that kind of ends our, our section. Just to transition to response, um, I, I pulled this verse from the New Testament where Jesus is talking, and he says, wisdom is proved right by all our children. Other translations say wisdom is justified of her children. The, the, the thing Jesus is pointing to here is he's saying, the way you know wisdom is there is by its fruit. He's saying, if, how do you know if wisdom is really right? How do you know if this person really has wisdom? Well, look at their children. If you're thinking of lady wisdom, look at lady wisdom's children. If you're personifying yourself in that picture as a mother or father, look at your children. Now, he's not saying literally look at your children, but just think about is there, is there fruit happening? Then that's evidence of wisdom. So to end, um, I want to end uh, on a final slide that we'll just talk about our response. So three questions for you guys to, to ponder, to talk about in community as you gather, as you get together with, with friends this week. Let's, let's look at these three, three things. So number one, are we pursuing wisdom in Yahweh? We may be pursuing wisdom, but are we doing that in God? Are we pursuing Jesus? Are we pursuing the Holy Spirit for wisdom? Because we could, we could find a lot of places where there's wisdom outside of the scriptures even, wisdom for different areas of life. And those things aren't bad. We need understanding, right? We need knowledge. But are we pursuing wisdom in Yahweh? Are we pursuing how God would have us creatively work in this world to bring his kingdom to bear, to work in our families, to work to cultivate the work that God created us to do and make something of this world and fashion it in a way that makes God be the point and the aim. So number one, are we pursuing wisdom in Yahweh? Are we, secondly, are we producing fruit and passing down wisdom in the covenant community? And again, I said covenant community, not just families, because families are a part of that, but are we seeing fruit? Like we read about in that verse with Jesus. Are, are, is there evidence of our spiritual fruit happening with wisdom. So are we producing fruit ourselves? Are we seeing wisdom in our own lives? And are we passing that down in the covenant community? That's why God put us in community. That's why we emphasize community at Colossae is because that's how these things get worked out. Um, and I shared this in the last time I taught, but like my wife and I didn't really see a transformation start to happen in our marriage and our, and our family until we really started going deep in community. And so that's why we do that as a church. It's a, a valuable. It's invaluable. Um, we need wisdom, and we need that wisdom passed down. We also need it passed down generationally. The young guys like me need to pass it down to younger guys. I'm all of a sudden realizing I'm going to be 37 this year. I'm like, man, I'm not young anymore, or I'm not as young as I think. But we also, I need wisdom from people older than me, people like Rick um, that, have, that are leading our church that have years of wisdom that I've never been exposed to that, I can, that I've gleaned much from. We need more of that. And we need to pass it down to, the, to people younger than us. And they can start learning from our mistakes, our wisdom, the ways we've pursued God, and we can help them. We can also help our children. And I think that's something that we, we want to grow them up into, this realization of, hey, you don't have to be perfect. Um, but you're not going to be perfect. But that shaping of learning from the, the experience that we've had is important. And lastly, again, going back to the mystery that we were pointed to, are we filled with the Spirit? The thing that... Um, kept coming to mind over and over again as I was reading 
um, these verses and as studying Proverbs was, you know, there's a lot of different pointers to the Holy Spirit, even in John 14 through 16 in the Olivet Discourse, when right before Jesus is going to the cross, he, he talks about the, the importance of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth, to guide us into everything that Jesus um, taught us. And when I think about wisdom, there's enough overlap in some of these passages about um, about chokmah and about the Holy Spirit that I feel like it was pressed on my heart that we need to be filled with the Spirit. There's no way that we can pursue wisdom on our own. We, we, we can't. We don't have it. We don't possess enough. So lastly, that, that's huge. It's just, are we filled with the Spirit? And I encourage you guys, as we start to take communion, we start to, start to think about that. We're going to kind of transition and... Um, Kale and, and the team are going to start coming down, and um, we're going to do some songs, and we're going to come to the table of communion, which is here for us um, every day. And, and we don't always emphasize this necessarily, but I want you to ask the question today as you come to the table, is am I filled with the Spirit? Because we can try to do this in our own flesh. We can try in our own energy to pursue wisdom, but without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we will not be able to, to produce that fruit, the fruit described of love, joy, peace, patience, all those things that demonstrate what the book of Proverbs teaches us, we can't have outside of the Holy Spirit, outside of his work. And so ask God today to fill you with the Spirit. Ask some, one, one of us or uh, some of the leaders or just someone maybe that you trust or ask them to pray for you for the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never had the filling of the Spirit. Maybe you've never asked for it. Maybe you've never sought it out. There's a lot that we... Um, in the book of Proverbs about just pursuing this passionately. So I encourage you guys today as you come to the table, recognizing the, the body and the and um, the body and the bread, the blood and, and the juice that represents Jesus' blood and cleansing for our sin and healing, ask for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Um, last slide is just uh, this is a reference for you guys, the Bible project. This is the a poster for the book of Proverbs. Go online, you can download the poster. Videos are awesome. Um, watch it with your family. I started watching it with our kids, our young kids, and they love it. And it's a great way to introduce them to the theme of the Bible. So um, that's all today. But as we respond, let's keep these things in, in, in mind um, and really press in to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to fill us. And so let me pray, and we'll, we'll transition. God, I, I come before you today recognizing that, um, that I don't have what it takes. And we recognize that as a church. We don't have what it takes to walk faithfully with you, to love you with all of our heart. We don't. We try and we fail. And some of us are in here today just sitting in the midst of that failure. And I feel that myself, God. I feel the weight of the fact that I can't manufacture wisdom in my own life as much as I've tried I can't. And in some ways, that led to more failure. But God, I, I just humbly ask today that for myself, for my family, for this church, God, for each person in here today, that we would have an interaction with you. That these words would ring with us throughout the day, throughout this week. They wouldn't just be idle words, God. If I've misspoken or I've said something that was off, I pray that people would forget it. That it just wouldn't, wouldn't get emphasized. And I pray that you cover that. Um, but I, I do pray, God, that um, your Holy Spirit would show up and pour himself out for each one of us. 
whether we're asking for it or not, I pray, God, that you would pour your spirit out as we see throughout Scripture, the people that sought you, that loved you, that wanted more of you. That is us, God. We want more of you. So fill us today, God. Fill us and, and help us to walk in your ways. Help us to love you with all of our hearts and our minds and our soul and our strength. We just give ourselves to you, Jesus, and we thank you for your love and that you don't give up on, on sinners like us, that you call us saints, that you call us clean, that you've given us a new hope and a new life. I pray that, God, you would just work that out today as we come and meet with you and respond to you. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.